Hey guys, this is Anand Chimpy from Anantech. We are finally back after a, I think, two week hiatus with uh, the Anantech podcast, episode nine. Um, the entire team was super busy with all the launches. Um, we're going to get through the bulk of them that are kind of mobile focused today. Um, joining us for the show, we have uh, Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey everyone. And Vivek Gowry, also from our mobile team. Hi guys. Um, so like I said, we want to go over everything that we've kind of been silent on, uh, you know, on the website, we haven't been silent, but, but in podcast form here. Um, and I, I guess the best way to start is a company that, you know, we don't, we haven't usually had a, had a need or a chance to talk about with regards to its mobile strategy and its OS strategy, uh, in recent history. And, and that's Microsoft. Um, so two big things happened. Um, Microsoft, you know, officially released Windows 8, Windows RT, and it also released Surface, um, and, and Vivek, you did the Windows RT review, um, which in a lot of ways is, is very applicable to, to Windows 8. Well, what are your thoughts on it? Um, so I, I really like Windows RT um, as a platform. Uh, it's, you know, it's just the official shipping version of, of Windows on ARM. Um, and I think for me, that really adds the, the productive spin to, uh, in the tablet space that I think we've been lacking till now. Um, you know, like with the iPad, it's it's been difficult to use it as a as a productivity device, and I think you know similar uh, applies to the um, Android tablets that we've seen thus far, um, and you know with especially with um, Office shipping on all Windows RT tablets, it's you know it's just really easy to just drop in to where you'd normally have a, a small notebook. I guess. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, my perspective on it, you know, I, earlier this year, I'd kind of written Windows RT off, like, hey, this this platform doesn't make sense. Um, you know, why would you pick this over Atom? And and I still do think that if there were kind of the killer device that ran Atom, um, maybe Windows RT wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. Um, but from Microsoft's perspective, I think it makes a ton of sense, right? Uh, AMD is effectively no longer competitive in, in keeping Intel's pricing in check. Uh, and, and ARM has stepped up to kind of fill that gap, right? So it keeps Intel's um, pricing in check, and, and it also keeps Intel's kind of power consumption in check as well. Um, a lot of people don't talk about this, and, and I don't think Intel's ever publicly said it, but Clovertrail, you know, the the... ARM competitor for the Windows space, that chip is around $20. I've actually even recently heard it's even less. Um, and that's cheaper than Intel. Like Intel has never sold a CPU that cheap. Uh, Atom has always been, or even some of the Celerons, they've always been upper 40s for the absolute lowest end part. Uh, and, and even Atom in general uh, can go up into like the 80s. So ARM has done a great job of keeping Intel's pricing in check there. It's also done a great job of really helping Intel drive kind of power consumption down. And uh, I don't know, as an OS, I think I was really shocked by the fact that battery life looked competitive with iOS and Android, which I, I don't think people are giving enough credit to Microsoft for here because this is effectively Windows, but now it doesn't suck in terms of idle power. And that's great, right? Like that's, uh, I'm actually really curious to see if the whole um, OS 10 versus Windows 8 um, idle battery life is still an issue. Right, because that was a big issue for with Windows Seven for a long time. I don't know. Have either of you guys played with that yet? Uh, I have a battery life test running on a Windows Eight Ultrabook as we speak. Okay, I want to um, put what... Windows Eight on that uh, latitude that I have. Actually, not. It's not a latitude. What am I saying? <clears throat> it's some. It's an IBM 
uh, ThinkPad. That's right. I got rid of my latitude, sadly. But <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you honestly. I don't know yet. I'm, I'm jealous. I want to yeah. play with Windows RT. I, I, I know, um, uh, I know Jared's working on a lot of battery life testing with Windows 8. Um, yeah. But at least on the RT side, like they've. Again, I don't think people are, are really getting how significant of a thing that is. That Microsoft went from being completely non-competitive in terms of, you know, mobile power consumption on its notebooks to, yep, now it's it seems to be on par, at least, you know, at a high level with uh, uh, with what Google and Apple have been doing, which I think is pretty cool. Um, the other thing that really sold RT for me was Surface. Uh and I know there's just been like a ton of mixed reviews on the platform. Uh, I actually really liked it. Um, Vivek, when you got to play with it back in June, you, you had very positive things to say about it as well, right? Yes. Uh, I, like, you know, from a, from a hardware design standpoint, this is one of the best, I guess, or one of the best that I had seen at, at that point. Um, it, you know, the, the integrated stand um, is something that, is actually a big deal because yes. it's, you know, it, it kind of changes your, your use case. Right. And I kind of took the, the integrated stand thing for, uh, for granted because I've always had a smart cover on my iPad. But, um, when I got the, the Asus RT tablet, um, I realized that I, I really just wanted to have it standing almost all the time. So I ended up keeping it in the, in the laptop dock, even when I wasn't planning on typing, just yeah. because I liked having it standing up. Yes. And I, I think Microsoft, you know, this is one of the things that really struck out to me. If you look at the Windows 8 um, or Windows RT tablet space, everyone seems to have just copied the design that Asus introduced, whatever, two years ago with the first Transformers, um, which I think completely explains why Microsoft had to build Surface. Uh, because there's just no innovation there, right? Like it's it's just they they saw a design that worked kind of well, and they said, all right, we're just going to do this for Windows 8. Um, wh whereas Microsoft actually with Surface went in, integrated an awesome kickstand. I I don't think that it's still lacking some flexibility, right? Like that 22 degree angle is by no means perfect for every scenario, but it's still innovation, right? Like it's a step in the right direction. Um, what about the part then, where every every iPad user ultimately approximates a notebook? So with Surface and the tap and the the stand, they just kind of got that out of the way. They were like, "We're we know you're gonna approximate a notebook." Yeah, exactly. Right. And and you know, one thing Microsoft said was they were like, "Look, we wanted a, a like an actual physical connection between the keyboard and Surface. We didn't want to rely on like Bluetooth dropping. Like it just it needed yeah. to work." Um, and and they they integrated all of this into the design. Right. They were like, "Look, touch cover, type cover, the kickstand, and the tablet." Those are the three things we have to get right to make the product, you know, kind of come to market. Nothing could be an afterthought. Um, so, I, and I thought they did a really, really good job of that. Um, I don't think Surface is perfect, right? I, I do think it needs a higher res display. Um, I think it needs a faster SOC. And I would like it to be, you know, maybe a little thinner, a little lighter. But you give me those three things, and I, I think that's like a real competitor. I think that's a, that's a pretty awesome platform at that point. Um, today it's just tough to recommend because it's, uh, you have to kind of accept that you're going to be an early adopter and know that, you know, likely in less than a year, there's going to be a much better version out. It's T30, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 1.3 gigahertz Tegra three, um, which does all right. Like it's, it's not bad. Um, 
It should have gone with T37 or just something higher, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I know Microsoft was very, very concerned about power. Like, the last thing, and it makes sense from their perspective, the last thing they want is for someone to say, oh, look, Microsoft screwed up battery life again. Um, yeah. Which is hilarious because when they actually get it right, almost no one gives them credit for it. Right? Well, like they take it for granted. I mean, it's part of the expectation for the platform. Yeah, you know? that's very true. Um, it, it just sucks. Like, that would be a, a perfect platform for Cortex-A15. I think... Uh, uh, I think when, and, and we'll get to this in a little bit when we talk about the new Chromebook, but um, I think that's going to be a very, very compelling SOC for mobile devices next year. Um, Specifically any other tablets? Yeah, yeah, Not definitely on tablets. Not smartphones yet? I don't know. Like, it's... it's Unless we um, have big little... You know, the, the Nexus 10 battery life results that, that you ran thus far don't look horrible. No, they didn't look bad at um, all. What we need to do is is actually run uh, uh, 4D on it. Like we need to run uh, the higher CPU utilization smartphone test to see I'll totally how much do it, that. Yeah, yeah, because that'll tell us like how much it's going to drop by by just having you know the A15s more active. Um, I need to get but, your video too for the video life test. You can tell yes. I don't actively review tablets too much. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I, I actually I uploaded that in between my last trip, so I'll get that over to you. Um, any final thoughts on Windows 8, RT, Surface, Vivo Tab, any of that stuff? I have a question. When are, when yeah, are we gonna When are we gonna see the Surface with Windows 8 Pro? Like, I want a I want a pen. January. Um, yeah. So they said they said three months um, after the launch of Surface. Um, Weird. I'm not as excited about that. And and they said the reason is purely like they were just, they poured all the resources into Surface. And they were like, we just have to do one thing well, and then we can do the next thing. Um, I, I'm not as excited about that one because it's physically larger. Like, I, I wish they had done yeah. that in the same 10.6-inch chassis. Um, I'm playing around with the Samsung, uh, how do you pronounce it? Ative? 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 I always say yeah. Ative. That that thing, their Clover Trail tablet. So it's the Samsung Ativ Smart or, PC or a T, right? Yeah, Is it a yeah. Well, that's sold outside the U.S. as the Series Five slate. Okay. If which makes, in my opinion, a lot more sense than this Ativ branding thing that they've going on. But yeah, it's like it, Galaxy. That's the thing they're trying to make. Like Galaxy is Android high end. Ativ is like Windows Windows Eight, Windows Phone Eight high end. Yeah. If it pays off for them, that's great. But for now, it's like, I just, if right now, I I I can't get behind it. I'm sorry. That's just, but so I'm playing with that and that's an 11 point, I think that's an 11.6 inch display. Um, And that's too big, man. Like for a tablet, like that's just too big. Really? I I think so. I think, I think Microsoft really got it. Like it's, it's okay in ultrabook mode, right? Then it just feels Mm -hmm. like a notebook, but I don't think that's the right optimization for um, kind of tablet and notebook use. Okay. Really? Um, Even though they have the side-by-side thing? I would think that I would want like 15-inch. But you'd want 15-inch with a higher res. Oh, yeah, totally. But this is 13-inch with the same res. Sorry, uh, 11.6. Yeah. Right. That's not cool. I mean, so when I first saw the, the, the launch devices, I think that was the one that I had picked out as the one that I wanted to see, right? That and the and the Clover Trail Asus, which on a spec level are almost identical, right? Yes. Uh, Clover Trail 11.6 inch, uh, 13 by 7, and Windows 8. 
So, yeah. I mean, I does the does the Windows Eight versus Windows RT? How much does that change things? Um, it's kind of cool because I can. So the thing that just I love about Surface and the Windows RT tablets is I was sitting there. Uh, I'm working on the tablet, using it like a tablet, and then I'm like, oh crap! I need to get our our video playback file on here. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, if it were an Android device, I'd have to run and watch Android file transfer fail on OS X or, or boot up one of the PCs. Um, and then on iOS, I'm like, oh, I got to deal with iTunes. But here, I just you know run, and then I just mount my share, right, my normal network share, and then I just copy it over like a normal file, which is awesome. Or I have like an SSD with a SATA to USB adapter, and I just copy it over that way, and that, that part's really cool. Um, so obviously you get that on the RT side as well. Windows 8 as a tablet is pretty cool because I can I can run PC Mark on it, right? Like I can run all of my old applications. The only part you got to get used to is, like I said, the the NAND feels slow. Like you run into the fact that this isn't an SSD; it's still just an EMMC controller. I have a suspicion that Samsung is kind of cheaped out on the EMMC side because it feels slower than uh, what Microsoft used in Surface. I don't know for sure. I'll, I'll be playing around with it here um, in the in the coming days for our Clover Trail review. But but that's my only complaint there. You know, you can mount SMB shares on Android too, right? You have to use an app, but you can totally mount SMB. Yeah, no, and and yeah, there, there are definitely like other ways to get stuff on there. And, and Android is nice in that regard. I just like that it's kind of baked into the OS. Like I don't have to do anything. It's just yeah, all sure. there. Um, and it's not like really ter- a terrible implementation that's sort of hackety. Yeah, it's it's just you know you it's just Windows. You do the same thing you've always done. Uh, and it's not like Windows networking is the best thing in the world, but it's uh, it's just nice to not completely be in this kind of controlled, totally different environment, right? I think that is a selling point. Yeah, even though it is a controlled, totally different environment, it like, is and it no isn't Steam right for Windows eight. You know, when, I mean Windows RT. Yes, um, it, it is and it isn't right. Like it's it's. Uh, you you do lose all of the the kind of awesomeness that is you know traditionally in Windows, uh, but you also don't have to worry about viruses and malware. Like it's a lot easier of a platform to recommend uh, to like your parents or something, right? Sure, you can just sure. give it to them and say, "You just, there's nothing you can do. It's it'll be fine." I mean, I can see the value there. I just yeah, personally, I still want I want like Windows Seven. I I, re- I want all the improvements in Windows Eight minus the UI. But I think I've Minus said that Metro. over and over and over again. Like I want the so, new file copy dialogue, new task manager. You know, so Samsung, the kernel. Um, on this their their Clover Trail tablet, uh, they they have like a custom start menu that they made. Um, yeah, it's that widget that they have. Yeah, it's terrible. Like it's it's laggy. Like it takes a second before it pops up after you click it. Um, but I don't know. I I feel like I can kind of get used to. The new what what is the official term like how do you explain it? i guess it's the start screen but the new modern ui I, I think i i've gotten okay with it um it's still not ideal for non-touch use um i would say but well, it's livable so what i've found is that uh when i'm or like on a on a laptop or an ultrabook where i don't have a touch screen i just stay in windows 8 like the desktop and yes. i use modern ui or the the OS that used to be known as Metro, um, as just like my start menu, right? It it just works the same. You hit start, 
and then you start typing to get your app and like the program that you want and then that's it yeah right no i, I agree like other um, than that you can use windows 8 exactly the same way you used windows 7 just mm-hmm. better no i agree um that that's that's what i do there and i think i would just end up putting more shortcuts on my desktop and putting more stuff in the taskbar um, the one complaint I have is I don't get why Microsoft insists on manually segmenting search results across applications, files, and settings. Yes, mm-hmm. that's that's always one that that weirded me out a little bit. As well as um, sometimes in their in their search dialog, if you're within an app, for example, right, like within the App Store, uh, you have to make sure that the search results that you're getting are actually for the App Store and not for everything else. Yes. Um, and, and Microsoft still doesn't, like, they don't fully search your entire drive, right, when you search? They still only, like, prefer and index certain folders? I think even, I, that's I, a setting even OS ten is right? like that. Really? No, I thought OS ten will search any file created, like, after it, when you create a file, it, it you know, takes, like, a second to index, and then uh, to add it to the index, and then it, it searches everything. No, but it doesn't search, like, library or hidden folders, I guess. Which sometimes I have things there that I want. Yes, that's true. But so in Windows, though, if you put like if you put a file in C colon backslash just whatever, if you put a file in root, that won't get automatically indexed or included in the search index. Just so it's just like Windows Seven, then. Yes. Um, so that part kind of bothers me still. But overall, like I, I think it's a, um, you know, go back four years and ask if you would expect that Microsoft could pull this off. And, and I don't think a lot of folks would have had confidence that they could. Um, this is, I think, a, a pretty dramatic change and a, and a good improvement for, for Microsoft. See, I'm jealous because I've, I've been so busy traveling and doing all this. I mean, and, that I haven't gotten the chance to just install it on something and commit <laughs> to using it. Yeah. Well, well okay. I've so had let's... it on systems since, I think, the developer preview. Um, and, uh, like, I just... I wasn't convinced then that they could pull it off. Um, let's put it that way. They had they had to go through some some major UI changes uh, since they first started releasing them. Um, and there's still some hiccups that that bother me. I don't know if Vivek, if you've noticed this. Like you can be scrolling in uh, modern IE, right? And if you leave your finger pressed down at at you know kind of the middle of a web page, the screen will kind of uh, or the OS will kind of toggle between, hey, are you going to scroll or are you going to stay put? And just the screen jitters up and down. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, great. I don't think so, no. That drives me crazy. Like, I've seen that both on the on the the in the UI as well. Like, any, any sort of scrolling, um, if you pick the right point and just hold your finger down there, and this doesn't happen on iOS, this is a, this is a Windows thing, um, it, it'll just sit there and shake back and forth a lot. Wait, and is this only in modern? Um, is this only in modern? Sounds like I their wonder. touch filtering is still messed up or something. Yeah. Well, I'm trying um, to, like, I, I'm, no, I, it's not happening for me on the, on the Asus. I don't know. I, I, I remember seeing it on, when I used, uh, back in June at Computex, when I used, uh, uh, the, it, well, what's now known as the Vivo tab. I remember that being an issue. I remember seeing it on some early Clover Trail tablets as well. Uh, and I remember pointing it out to Intel. I was like, "Look, this can't be here because iOS doesn't do this, and and like you gotta, you have to deal with stuff like this. Um, it doesn't happen super frequently, but but it's annoying. Uh, and and they're now probably drawing a vector, and then when you're just in the center, 
there's like tiny little deviations that they're not filtering out. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Like, I, I'm sure as soon as Brian gets his hands on one, um, once we start getting in more of the Clovertrail tablets, <laughs> I like, don't want to sure... know. No, I actually just don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> this seems like the exact. This is like a total Kluge problem, right? Like, he would he would find it right away, and then there'd just be like a litany of tweets just about how annoying this problem is. That seems to um, happen a lot. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, because you you like you thoroughly use things that you get right like you find it out pretty uh pretty regularly well you guys do too i mean you found this so <laughs> i just rage out on twitter apparently <laughs> <laughs> no it's been driving me crazy too and like i don't uh, i don't know I, I i don't know why it gets through qa like someone else has to has to have encountered this um that's actually the other thing that bothers me about the Samsung Clover Trail tablet. Uh, I feel like their their touch controller or their touch implementation isn't as good as what Microsoft used on Surface. Um, huh. I, I haven't done a lot of digging to like know if it's actually physically different hardware or if it's just differences, you know, at the firmware or driver level. Uh, but I find that I have a harder time, uh, kind of in RT desktop mode or in Windows 8 desktop mode, tapping things than I do on on Surface. Uh, it could also be, you know, the the physical display itself. It, you know, it's obviously a different size, different manufacturer. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But they have um, they have a, a strong, like a very specific, very prescribed, you know, set of certification guidelines and test cases. You know, like so, they made a big deal to, about this to me at um, Build last year. That hey, we were we're getting really serious about our touch controller and touch responsiveness and we're going to be better than android which is sort of like a free-for-all and we're going to really try to you know emulate ios with with the whole you know fact that it's going to be really grippy and sticky and not have lag yeah you know. so it's it's um two things about that i i, I don't i don't think this is a lag issue um i feel like it's a touch accuracy issue um it's not bad it's just worse than surface um and then the second thing is when I was out in California most recently, heard some stuff from Intel where they were basically like, yeah, you know, Microsoft kind of set the bar that everyone has to meet, but some of our internal tests, uh, not everyone meets them. So, I, and, and that's actually one thing I noticed when I use the um, uh, Acer W510, like that touch implementation is awesome. It's really fast, really accurate. Um, and, and that's a device, you know, Acer and Intel have this like super close relationship with uh, all their Windows 8 stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that Intel was like, you know, we we made sure this this touch implementation is really, really good. Um, that's really frustrating, though. I was like I was for a while very convinced that they were going to have very, you know, like a very clear standardization and then filtering. I, I don't know. I mean, it could also be a bum unit like um, my my. Uh, my first Samsung um, Clovertrail notebook had definite issues with the dock. Um, they're going to have to send me a replacement, and, and you know maybe I'll find that the first one was just bad, um, but, but we'll see. Uh, so, Brian, you mentioned that you've been traveling around a lot, haven't had a chance to install Windows 8 on anything. Somewhat related, you went to the Windows Phone 8 launch. You also have uh, one of the first Windows Phone 8 devices, the 8X uh, from... That's right from HTC. What, what can you tell us about the OS and the device itself? Yeah, so while you, you guys have been off playing with Windows 8 and Windows RT, I've been playing with the, the phone equivalent. And 
Honestly, it's it's very similar still to Windows Phone 7, but it's a completely different kernel, you know, so it's using the same kernel as what's what's in Windows RT. Um, whereas the Windows Phone 7 platform was using basically Windows CE. And really the improvements that are major aren't really visible to the user. You know, like from Microsoft's perspective, they wrote a completely new OS and it just happens to look the same as the previous one, right? And so from their, from their perspective, it is something completely different. From an end user perspective, there's still not a lot that's changed. Like we have, we have a new tile size, which is great. You know, now the home, you know, like the start screen can take advantage of, you know, the full width. And there's an interesting story about why they decided to take advantage of the full width. And apparently it's because um, side by side with other phones that were drawing, you know, across the whole display, uh, they were having customer feedback that those devices looked like they had bigger displays, even though sometimes the Windows phones had bigger displays than the comparison point, just because... You know, they used to have that black, you know, with a large bar on the right. So it was like asymmetric. Yeah. Um, so those changes are great. You can resize all the tiles, you know, between the three sizes. Um, you know, in general, I think we sort of updated Windows Phone to where it, it needs to be now, you know, in a competitive in a competitive sense, you know, with things like the browser, the camera UI getting better. Um, trying to think what else. You know, but from for me, I have this like list of things that I just need, and then and then I can use Windows Phone, and it won't be like I need to carry another device to get the other things done. And I just I wish that they had taken the opportunity to do all those things here. But I get I get that moving to a different kernel is you know the big the big you know issue right now, and so that we can get the apps that are portable between Windows RT and Windows Phone eight, and also new hardware, you know, because previously this, I guess the Windows CE side of things and that version of the OS was extremely tied to, you know, like 8x55 and 8x50. So, you know, 65 nanometer single core Scorpion and then, you know, 45 nanometer single core Scorpion. And now we have this, this model that has, you know, much more modern platform in that we, you know, we can do things like hardware abstraction um, you know, scale to up to 64 cores. It's the real Windows NT kernel, you know. So I, I I don't know. Those are big things to me, and I appreciate the, like, improvement and response. You know, like, responsivity is so much better. But at the same time, I really want this, like, this, lit this list of things, you know. That yeah. I, like, I told somebody, somebody was asking, well, can you use it as your phone now? And I was like, it's it's close, but not there yet. You know, yes. like I need I need support for all my chat protocols. Yep. You know, and and messaging, and it's not. I still can't do that. Um, I think I think things like fast app resume, which is still a screenshot, are just like little things that I notice. You know, like it's still a JPEG image, so you get you see artifacts. Yeah. And even though I think a lot of users won't necessarily notice that notice that. The power users do like other power users ask me hey is this still the same and it is but at the same time things like um you know multitasking and the fast app resume are apparently far improved now like they're just easier to take advantage of for developers whereas in windows phone 7 and 7.5 they were still very difficult to take advantage of 
so they supplied us with a build of Twitter, you know, the official Twitter app, um, which is sort of like the Microsoft maintained Twitter app uh, that implemented that. And it's, you know, it's, it's like night and day. So, you know, it's, it's a dramatic improvement in terms of the software side. Is it everything that it needs to be yet? I, I still don't think so. You know, like they were talking about notification center not being something that's there. I guess I, I sound I sound really negative, but overall I'm very positive. Like we need a strong number three. Yes. And I have no doubt that Microsoft will be that strong number three. And somebody else asked when I was at the launch event, you know, like where do you think this will be going forwards? And I said, Well, if you look at all the post iPhone or post iOS um OSs that have been launched, really there's only one that remains, and that's Windows Phone. You know, all the others are gone right webos is gone um symbian bell is basically gone um migo you know ties in we'll see what happens with that but it's basically gone as well um you know i I think you can just you can just obviously see that this has emerged as at least the number three yes and no i you know same with rim black you know like where's blackberry 10 right (laughs) i've written that off so yeah, I'm I'm with you on Rim. Um, I I and it's good to kind of hear this from you because I I've been feeling the same way. I feel like uh, Windows 8 and Windows RT makes total sense to me. Um, that's emerging as like a you know Microsoft being ahead of the ahead of the uh, you know I, I keep saying that Microsoft totally missed the movement to you know the resurgence of ARM based ultra mobile devices. They missed that very late to that 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 show and and they're paying that penalty now. They're ahead of the curve, on the other hand, for this tablet notebook kind of convergence. Yeah. I don't know how big of a market that's going to be or how important it is that they're ahead of the curve there. But that's one area with Windows 8, Windows RT, I think they're going to do a very good job in. Uh, With Windows Phone, they're still kind of dealing with the fact that they're, you know, more than two years late to this new resurgence of ARM-based devices. And uh, it's good to see that they're, they're making the platform better. Um, but but I I'm, I'm with you. I don't see anything that that uh, uh, kind of fundamentally makes it a hey pick this over iOS or Android kind of platform. It's still a you know if you want something that's truly different, you know here it is. But they haven't really exploited a lot of the uh, I guess synergy that they could with the rest of the Microsoft ecosystem. Well, they, um, I mean they have things like Smart Glass. Um, you know they have they have the Office tie-in with SkyDrive. I mean I, I don't live a lot in Office anymore. I sort of made the decision in college to to not use Office, and I, was, yeah. and I would only use LaTeX, and that sort of stuck. Like I do all my writing in Markdown, so I can't I can't really speak to how how fabulous or not fabulous that is. But it looks it looks compelling if you are working in the Office space. The one thing that I will say that I just find really disappointing is that you know whereas Microsoft is is arriving to the game late. And the tablet and you know like arm side they're not really late and the phone side right they had you know pocket pc they had windows mobile they had all this legacy of you know first doing first being like sort of the also ran against palm like which i'll say you know everybody knows that's what that was and that's the case and and then later they became something much more powerful and then later, Android emerges sort of the alternative to Windows Mobile, and all the all the Windows Mobile hackers moved over to Android. So then, then we saw, you know, like, oh well, Windows Phone Seven is going to launch as something that's more like iOS, right? So all this all this legacy 
um, of, you know, us having this, this sort of amazing, very powerful uh, smartphone OS just kind of went away, you know, so we started from scratch and I understand that it's a clean break and it needs to happen so that we could have all this, you know, this convergence happen. And, and also the thing that's really interesting to me is that we saw this new UI, this new paradigm, this new visual theme, you know, basically the entire UI emerged on the phone first and then came over to Windows, right? So, I mean, how many yeah. times is that going to happen in history? Probably not very many. Like, that was probably it. Um, but at the same time, all the Windows Phone 7 stuff is is largely just written off now, right? Like, that was a time-to-market thing that was just entirely built on Windows CE. Like, arguably, it should have launched in the form that it is now. Yes. You know, with the Windows, the same core as Windows 8, same core as Windows RT, app portability in between the two, none of this silver light, you know, all, you know, all this stuff that we're going to abandon, basically all those frameworks um, later on. And at, at the same time, yeah, I totally agree with you. There needs to be more synergy. Like my, my biggest thing uh, that I've said to other people is um, you have the Xbox, right? Um, I have a Windows phone. Why can't I just do mirroring? Like make, you have the biggest installed base yeah, of exactly. sort of like the the TV console endpoint for audio and visual, you know, sync. Yep. Why why can't I do AirPlay? No, I mean that that's it, that is the perfect example, right? Because the Xbox 360 hardware already has the capability to decode, you know, H.264. Yeah, uh, for I mean, free. You could, you could use it as an HD DVD player, right? So it can totally act as a, uh, you know, a much larger install base Apple TV competitor. Um, they could easily do that. They could easily, you know, what I'd, what I'd love to see. And I'm guessing all of this, you know, gets fixed in the next console. But I, I think that's missing just a really good opportunity to kind of take care of your current customers or the people who are supporting the new platform. Um, the next thing I really want to see, as soon as we get, you know, uh, Adreno 320 class or, or faster hardware in there, um, I, I want to see some of the, like, killer Xbox titles get ported to, to Windows Phone. Right, I'm not talking. I don't want Fruit Ninja again. Right, I want. I want <laughs> Halo. The rope. Yeah, I don't. I don't want any more of that. Right, like that's fine. I'm glad that that's there, but everyone has that. You start bringing Halo Two and some of these like key uh, Microsoft published titles over there, yeah. and and build a good controller dock, and that's something that Google and Apple, neither one of them can can deal with. Right, like that's unless they wanted to get into the game publishing business, like they don't own. Uh, kind of AAA IP in the gaming space. Well, that's been the case forever, right? Like, we just keep waiting. I mean, I feel like, yeah, again, we're so close. I wish that we could have this two years ago. Yes. You know, like, I realize that's impossible, and we've come a long way, but at the same time, it would be so much more, it would be so much easier to be an advocate of this platform had it started this way, but I realize nobody starts with everything, yeah, um, but it's been like two years, right? They had ample opportunity to give us at least some of everything. Um, yeah, I, I, and I want more of it. I, I, exactly. I like using it. Like, it's fun to use. It's just different. And the, the apps are so much better. You know, coming back to this two years later, coming back to this even after, you know, like I played with Lumia 900 for, I think that was like almost a month before they wanted it back. And then the Lumia 800 and all those respective devices, like I used them, you know, I put my SIM in, I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to use it. And, and look, and using it now, it's, it's much better. Just the apps are better. Like the Twitter apps that I use, 
But at the same time, I need I need things like Dropbox. You know, I need things like all my chat protocols. I would like alternate browsers. You know, I just I have like this mental list, and if it doesn't map one to one between what I'm using on iOS and Android right now, it's it's the friction in my mind is so high that when I'm just putting the SIM in, I'm like, ugh, I'm gonna need to carry you know, at least two or three phones to get all my stuff done, you know, because I need to do work. You yeah. know, like if I leave my desk I need, and I go sit somewhere or traveling, I, I just, you know, like I can't not do things. Yeah, I, I think for me the, the chat protocol is, is the one that's really lacking. I feel like messaging in general is a missed opportunity, right? Both on Windows Phone 8 as well as like Windows 8, Windows RT. The messaging app is just... It's a missed opportunity. Yeah, they need to in. deliver like iMessage or something, you know, like that level of integration. I agree. And I think that's like people are really underestimating how key, uh, you know, Apple using iMessage is, right? Because it, it inherently makes you, you know, if you are an iDevice user and you've got iMessage and let's say five of your 10 folks that you normally talk to also have uh, iOS devices, it improves your user experience there and, and kind of inherently, uh, I don't know, I feel like it biases those users towards always staying in the Apple ecosystem. Um, Absolutely. And this is the BBM effect. All those people stuck around for like two years after that platform was just like clearly on fire, burning, you know, <laughs> like clearly just not not good, you know, like basically your web browser was horrible. But people <laughs> stuck around because of BBM. Like the same thing is going to happen with iOS. You know, yeah. like the platform could be on fire right now because iMessage is so good. People are going to stick around, you know, and people ask me, why is it so much better? Well, just go, go back and read the iOS 5 review where we like took apart iMessage. It's better because if you send, if you send people like a picture and the receiving and, and it's terminated on a, on a, you know, a, a device that has Wi-Fi and you're on Wi-Fi, then you get the full res image, Right. None of this MMS 300 kilobyte or less, you know, depending on what the gateway wants thing. Yeah. You know, read reports, delivery reports, it's packet switched. It's not circuit switched. You know, there's none of this like best effort delivery nonsense where things just sort of disappear into the ether through the SMSC. Yeah. And like, again, this, these are, yeah, these are friction things. And it's the friction when you're trying to sell someone on, hey, switch, switch for your OS choice completely. That gets people, and and I I really feel like the Windows Phone positioning is as something of a feature phone alternative. Like it's designed to be easy, it's gonna obviate that market entirely, and it just sits in between somewhere between you know like iOS, Android, and then here's feature phones. It sits in between those those two and that one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, what what can you tell us about the uh? Windows Phone 8X by HTC. Um, I played with it a little bit at the launch event, um, but you've you've been using it for quite a while now. Uh, how do you like it? So I really I really like the 8X. Um, I just I think it's this is the big thing too that the launch isn't necessarily all software, even though it's Windows Phone 8. It's also the launch of two really and a lot. Well, I guess more than two really great pieces of hardware by. Um, OEMs that maybe not necessarily in the past gave Windows Phone their best effort, um, which is putting, you know, like putting it nicely. But uh, with the 8X, we see hardware that is really top notch. Like obviously HTC 
decided we want to bring the best of our industrial design. We want to bring the best of what we can do in terms of, you know, device layout. And there's, they, they took this sort of novel approach to how we're going to lay out this, you know, the sandwich of components inside the smartphone. So instead of having like a, a battery on one side and then like an L-shaped board and then display sitting on top, they decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to do display and then battery um, to get the largest 2D you know, space possible for the cell. And then on top of that, we're going to put the PCB. And so the result is this phone that's like, it's different. It's shaped kind of like a pyramid and it cups in your hand really nicely. And the edge tapers are great. And even though it's like a centimeter, you know, like I was actually shocked when I was putting the table together, it's like a centimeter, but it doesn't feel like a centimeter at all. It doesn't feel thick. And wow, I didn't realize it was that thick. Are great. They have a great front facing camera. They have a great back facing camera. Um, maybe it's not as good as the Lumia 920's camera, but it's still very good. Honestly, the hardware is, is just exceptional. I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. The time that I've spent with it, I have no complaints, even on this pre-release hardware. And then we were given the, the pre-release, um, 8X on AT&T, um, later on, which I haven't, I haven't tried because I have all my stuff on the international one and I live in an area where AT&T doesn't even have LTE. So it, it's kind of lost on me a little bit. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I think if, if you really want camera, line 20 is the one to get. If you don't really, if camera isn't your number one thing, then go for the 8X because it's, it's, it's a better overall, um, in-hand feel for me. I mean, there are trade-offs like the display. Uh, I think the clear black thing is important on the 920. You know, they have a better touch so obviously there are trade-offs, right? Yeah. But I'm I'm very I'm a very big fan. Cool. Um, so switching gears a bit, uh, I want to talk Google. Um, bunch of new releases there. Uh, we got the new Chromebook, two hundred forty nine dollars, made by Samsung. Has a a Samsung Exynos five dual, so two ARM Cortex A fifteens running it up to one point seven gigahertz. Uh, ARM Mali T six hundred four, so that kind of next generation Mali GPU. Um, all of that in this package for two forty nine, uh, it's not half bad, right? Like the display quality isn't great, um, but it's also only two hundred forty nine dollars. Uh, in in my use of it, like I used it for a while, um, you know, in in reviewing it, that was like my main machine that I used for uh, the handful of days that that I was working on it. Um, I thought it was decent. It was an okay web browsing experience for like basic web browsing, right? You start getting into uh, you know, you, you go to the, the Chrome Web App Store and you try and run, uh, I think I ran Cut the Rope and I got like a performance error, like a performance warning, hey, your system can't keep up. Um, so there there's some, you know, concerns there. But using Google Docs, browsing the web, reading articles, stuff like that, it works fine. Um, gets That's okay so bad enough. that that exists? That shouldn't exist? I know. It's, you know, it's still like it's, it, it's, it's not, uh, it's not like, x86 class hardware right like it's well i should say core class hardware um but as like a kind of dumb terminal that lets you browse the web and type in google docs i think it works um decent build quality like the whole thing feels very plasticky um and they went to i think it's a 30 or 31 watt hour battery uh so battery life isn't great like it's 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 all right like for a notebook it's it's not bad i we got about six and two thirds hours like six point six six point seven hours i think out of a single charge um 
so you're not going to get you know into the 10 range like you do with a tablet uh but it's okay like i you know i've i've heard from a number of users who are very interested in it um because they have you know someone in their lives who who just wants chrome as a web browser and you know they read whatever their 15 sites and they just need something that works and you know it does get the job done uh by no means is it a luxury device but it's also only you know 249 dollars that one doesn't have um, built-in 3g anymore does it or or does it no no for 249 you get they, there's actually like a, a sim slot on the back of it but it's just empty like you can you can the slot is open you can pull the cover back and look at it but if you stick a sim in there it's just going to like fly into the chassis like there's nothing even stopping <laughs> oh, cool. you they didn't even put like a plastic stop <laughs> No, no it, well, I, okay, admittedly, I didn't try and put anything in it. Um, okay. But I, I opened it up, and I looked behind it, and I'm like, there's nothing here. It's just... Um, but they have the so. intention to ship probably, like, a Gobi platform or something, and then... There's a there's a 3G in. one coming for 329 um, Yeah, that's what I... Oh, it's okay. just not shipping yet. Um, so that was always the curious. coolest part of the CR48 to me, is that, yeah, you could play with that. Yeah, and then you'd also get, like, I thought they're, you know, free 100 megs of downloads per month for two years. I thought that was always kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I tried to I tried to give that to my grandma. Like, hey, do you want, do you want to internet? You know, it's free. <laughs> you can't break it. Yeah. But the answer was no. <laughs> no, I don't want to internet. Um, so anyways, I thought the platform was cool. It gave us a, a great look, first look, at the ARM Cortex A15. Um, which ended up just destroying Adam. Like it's, uh, if anything is worrisome to Intel, it should be this. Um, because we, we, you know, at least in our, in our JavaScript tests compared to dual core Adam, you know, we were showing 40 to 60% gains, um, at relatively similar clock speeds, um, which is a pretty big deal. Like, I, I don't know how much Intel is going to get out of the next Atom core, uh, a 40 to 60% or even larger gain would be very impressive for one generation. Um, there is also the fact that, you know, the Atom core is effectively five years old, so it would be more like three generations of improvement in, in you know, in one switch in architecture. Um, but I think it's a it's a very compelling performer. Um, but the new Atom is then, out of order. Like, I think we can say that, no? Yes. Or, uh, yeah, spec- no. Hypothetically. Eric no, I, I think I, I confirmed it um, in, in some article a while back. Um, the Silvermont core is out of order. We know nothing about it. Um, yeah. So, nothing other than that. Yeah, exactly. Um, other, nothing other than that and the fact that Intel has a ton of experience in building really good out-of-order cores, right? So like Cortex-A9 is out of order, but it's very limited in what instructions it can reorder and in how many instructions it can look back um, and, and you know figure out, like, uh, in the size of its, basically, it's, it's reordering window. Um, A15 improves that. I don't have a good feel for how much. Uh, but I think it's a safe bet to assume that the out of order engine that, that hit, hits Atom is going to be fairly robust. Um, and then that'll be where Intel hopes to, to kind of gain a lot. Um, you know what was really laughable about that thing is the WebGL stuff. Oh, just how much faster it was? Yeah, which, than... is weird, which is weird to me that it says that it couldn't do games or anything from the Chrome store because like clearly it was just, it was just wiping the floor. Yes. I mean, Molly... I... Molly T604 is like a, and we're going to talk about this in a second when we get to Nexus 10. Um, it's it's a very capable GPU for for a mobile device. And what Intel was shipping in the Atom that uh, I compared it to, which was the old N, uh, uh, the the previous generation 
you know, Atom Core, that was still GMA 3150 graphics, which is just not very good. Yeah. Um, so let, let's move on, right? The other big thing from Google, Nexus 4 and Nexus 10. Uh, Brian, you have both. Which one you want to start with? Mm. Well, why don't we talk about the Nexus 10 since we're on that subject, the T6, the, uh, Exynos 5250, or I guess Exynos 5 Dual. Yeah. And um, T604 and A15 thing. Um, what are your, so we, we did the performance preview of that already. Um, it did okay on the CPU side, but all of those tests are real JavaScript based that that's more of a reflection of the state of Qualcomm optimization or not. No, sorry. No, that's actually, no, wait, that's on the Nexus four side. Did Nexus 10, did that do? Well, that? so both are the same, obviously when you ship a tablet that's based on just AOSP, there are no OEM custom V8 libraries included. Hence why we see. The performance deviations that we do on the Nexus 4 versus the Optimus G and on the Nexus 10 versus we don't really have a Nexus 10 platform that Samsung has shipped. But I mean, the performance was clearly, you know, beyond anything else just because it's A15s, but it could probably be even better. You know, I don't know how much, how much of ARM's, um, how much ARM works with the V8 project. I know that there is like single digit number of people that work on the ARM, you know, ARM v7 version. So, you know, and then the, you know, like when you have OEMs that are working on their own version, like Qualcomm one tailored for crate, they try to up upsource whatever they can, but whether or not it gets, you know, accepted is just a matter of politics and who the maintainer is and all this open source, you know, political stuff. So that's the answer to why we see such strange performance and of course the nexus 4 that i have i believe was thermally throttling and i actually don't believe it i know it because i reset the um the state tables and then ran some benchmarks and saw that it was not a 1.5 gigahertz score it was like one 1.153 i forget which state it is it's not like 1.2 but it's it's almost 1.2 so that's really bad i i I don't get because the 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 Snapdragon the dual core Snapdragon versions uh, platforms that you've tested those don't throttle do they? You know, Optimus G gets quite hot, so I will say that. But um, none of the eighty nine sixties have ever throttled on me. But I mean, I have Tegra three throttle all the time. Uh, so do you think it's just a, a quad core thing? Yeah, I mean, obviously their power profile is is different. I think it could also probably have a better heat spreader. When I took it apart, it's there's not a lot of you know like interface, um, and I take everything apart. So, you know, personally, I, I think they're throttling a little bit too low. Like the external chassis temperature was around 110 that I measured with my contactless IR thermometer mm -hmm. that I normally do whenever I feel something getting hot. I just whip it out and I'm like, what what temperature is this? I've seen other devices go much higher before thermally throttling. So again, there's some there's something of a like comfort. You know, it's sort of an OEM case-by-case -case thing. Um, I, I know that there's an XML file inside the device which sets what the thermal cutoffs are, and I believe they some of them were at 60C, which seems a little bit low to me. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not really my job to figure out what should they be, but I know that it is, it is throttling, or it, it did previously, and then I ran some tests in the refrigerator that were closer. Um, so we'll, we'll sort that out. 
So um, here's an interesting question. Do we know, um, is APQ8064, is that still uh, on 28 nanometer yes. LP? Yes. Okay, so it's not it's not using HPM or anything. Correct. Correct. Mm. That would make a okay. big hoopla if it was the other one. Okay. So this is still, yeah, and it would be much higher clocks. This is just okay. the, yeah, 28. Got it. Um, so we deviated a bit. Tell us about Nexus 10. Um, what's the display like? What's the user usability like? Um, it's priced. It starts at three ninety nine, so there's like that inherent hundred dollar advantage over the iPad. Yeah, it's three ninety nine. You get a twenty five sixty by sixteen hundred WQXGA HD PLS display. Um, that's ten inches, and this this is of course the like point of contention that everybody's having with sort of the notebook space. Is why why do I have a notebook that costs way more and I have a terrible display? So. I mean, yeah, that's that's a topic for another discussion entirely, but the display on the Nexus 10 is awesome. Like it is it is really good just in terms of I can't see the pixels at all cuz it's 300 ppi. Yeah. Um and the numbers that I ran were pretty positive. Uh like they could be a little bit better, but they're very positive. Like I th I think the white was like just short of 400. Um their contrast was just shy of 800. Um, the calibration details that I ran, it looked to me like somebody had actually tried, you know, like oh, the wow. gamut isn't sRGB. The iPad is still the only thing ever that's like straight sRGB and, you know, and the iPhone five, but it's, it's close, you know, like it's very, they did, I think somebody clearly tried and there's nobody at Google whose job description is calibrate displays, you know, like <laughs> they just need to contract with Francois. Yeah. You know, like just just pay him like he totally do it too. just like pay him money, come in, <laughs> fix their display and then ship ship the thing. Like there's nobody that does that. That's 20 yeah. percent time thing. So I'm very impressed. And in the context of what I've seen in other devices, like it's very good. How um, is um smoothness of UI and everything? Oh, it's right. It's like, really smooth. Like I'm just flicking it back and forth right now. You know, like that the launcher totally smooth still you know just like that i think they have they have the memory bandwidth to do it even though it's two by 32 well no so it's um uh it's two by 32 but at 1600 megahertz data rate right like they oh yeah so it's it's way high <laughs> yeah um yeah because it's it's uh it's they didn't go 128 bit wide at least this is what i saw when i tore down the chromebook right they have um, assuming it's the same in here yeah yeah um yeah exactly at least on the chromebook it's 2 by 32 but they're using ddr3 l 1600 um did anyone tear down the, the no Nexus no 10? nobody's taking this apart ah uh, okay that'll be i'm, I'm really curious but and, i, I and think this one i think doesn't look like it's easy to take apart like it's i'm not sure where to start <laughs> There's this weird no. thing on the back. So the the back has this place next to the camera that's like a cover and you can peel it off and there's the FCC ID and stuff underneath. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very weird because there's nothing under there. Like it's where I would have probably hidden an SD card or a SIM card. Like if I were, were actually intending to do that and designing yeah. a tablet. But there's nothing under there. So that's kind of strange. But I mean, the rest of it is is really good. You know, everybody was talking about like, oh, it's rounded. It looks so ugly. I just, I, I have a personal thing against like when people just are like, that's so ugly, and they only see a render. 
<laughs> you know, because I always am like, well, what, what, you know, what designs have you ever made? You know, how are you know, like this is this is all, like that's the lowest common denominator of analysis you can possibly ever offer. Is I think it looks <laughs> ugly. Well, a cool story, bro. You know, like hold it in your hands and then tell me. Like actually, it being rounded is actually pretty nice. So and, it's comfortable to hold. Yeah, it's you comfortable like the and it's thin. You know, when I go hold an iPad, I'm like, I don't want to hold this above my head in bed. You know, that's what I think when I when yeah. I go and hold an iPad three and iPad four. I think, oh my gosh, like you, first of all, the body isn't designed to like hold your arms above your head all the time. You know, like the blood yeah. just drains out. So, you know, having something that's thin and light does make sense for a tablet. If we're talking about like I'm gonna watch a Netflix video in bed, yes, or something and. I don't know. This is just my personal take. And that's a use case that I think is important. But it's it's thin. It feels a lot like a 10.1 to me. You know, like this is clearly a Samsung design. It's it's plastic, um, which isn't isn't too bad, but could be better. The thing that's a little bit strange is they have this rubber feel on it. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like they went... Clearly somebody at Google understands the importance of in-hand feel and the perception of, and perception thereof. Because the Nexus 7, the Nexus 4, and the Nexus 10 all have this rubber material. And that's the real deviation on the Nexus 4 from the Optimus G is this like rubber ring around the edge. So that's what you're touching most of the time. And on yeah. the Nexus 10, it's, it's, all, it's all rubber, you know, which is great, but leaves fingerprints. So somebody's clearly thinking about this stuff, you know, and it's, it's like piecemeal. It's not everything. But it's it's close. I don't know. I like it a lot. And the apps are, are better, again, in terms of things that scale the tablet, like Plume. Plume is, is excellent. Like, I can have all three windows open. Timeline mentions, favorites, or, you know, like, direct messages. And so it's not, it's not just, like, a scaled version of the straight phone UI. It's, like, a logical, you know, layout where you get, yeah. th- you get more things. And I realize that those are few and far between, but there are there are a surprising number of them that are things that I care about, like my IP cam viewer. You know, like I can look at all my IP cameras on the tablet and see a, like a pretty big viewport size of all five, you know, at once. Yeah. And it scales. It's not like it's just a tablet version of it. So... I, I don't know what people are talking... Like, I understand what people are talking about when they're talking about things that look ugly. They're talking about the stock Twitter app, which yeah. looks terrible, right? Like, that's what everybody points at. They're like, I'm going to install Twitter. Oh, wow, this looks awful. All the apps must be <laughs> like this close. You know, but no, if you so- go use Plume, it's like, oh, wow, this is this is actually pretty awesome, you know, or Chrome or Gmail. Yeah, I think... I think it's it's really important that there is now finally like a true flagship 10-inch, you know, high-end high Android tablet that's out there. And it's also priced appropriately. Like at $399, I think that, that's that's where it should have been from the start. Um, and uh, I don't know, we're, we're seeing this, this very, at least in the phone side, there, there's always kind of been these more compelling non-Nexus branded devices that are out there and you have to kind of make this decision of which one you want right but here they went for absolute best in everything which i thought is great um it's well i mean you could make the case that that existed with the zoom even though the zoom was priced way out of where it should have been and that was a google experience device too but it wasn't a nexus so somebody is you know being very strategic about 
we understand the need to have, you know, like the canonical message across all of what we want to, you know, all of what we want to sell as this is Android. And I, like you said, exactly for the 10 inch size, this is it. Yeah. And the, make the rear facing camera is pretty decent. Um, it has, it has two by two Wi-Fi, you know, dual band. It actually has the newest Broadcom, um, combo with two by two Wi-Fi. Like I was very, very surprised to see it. It's the one with the long part number that I can never remember. Um, <laughs> which is, well, I, which is curious. I feel like we're seeing, you know, with the arrival of surface and the windows eight windows RT tablets, I, f- I feel like we're, we're seeing that, that kind of around 10 inch tablet market divide into, you know, more content consumption oriented devices and then the more productivity side. So clearly Nexus 10, you know, you don't have the keyboard dock. It falls more on the consumption side, but it offers kind of a spec parity and in some cases, you know, greater spec alternative to to the iPad if if you want to stay in the Android ecosystem, which I think is important. Um, I, again, I don't know how big that market is, but it's good to see that there's, you know, Google's at least offering a solution there. Um, but I, what I really want to hear your, your thoughts on, and, and, you know, we're going to get to the new iPads in a second. Um, but, but what I really want to hear your thoughts on Brian are the Nexus four. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, so I was telling you about this <laughs> offline. I, I remember when it was announced and, you know, at a high level, you hear the specs, uh, quad core S four pro, you know, that's all right. It's, it's not bad. Adrena 320 is decent. Um, no LTE and, and it's priced at 299, you know, at, at a high level, that doesn't sound all that kind of earth shattering. Um, and then I remember there was this like key moment when it, ki- it clicked for me, right? Just like hearing you uh, obsessing over DCHSPA plus and, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, at first I was like, I don't know why Brian cares about this so much, but, but then it sort of clicked and I was like, well, this is a $300 unlocked device out of contract. Like you own it. You're not, you don't have to, you know, kill a guy if AT&T says, hey, you know, you owe me a favor. Like, yeah, that's none of that comes with the package. And it's kind of optimally built for T-Mobile, which happens to offer you, like, really, really good uh, off-contract data plans and, and, and just overall pricing plans. And now, you know, viewed through that light, it sounds awesome, right? Like, this is, yes. this is now a, yeah. an excellent device. As a device. T-Mobile user, I have not been this excited about uh, any phone in quite some time. Pentaband DCHSPA plus at $300 unlocked is like, yes, sold. I'm in. Where can I sign up? Right. Yeah. So, so Brian, tell us about the phone. Like, is it good? Is it, is this really, because it sounds to me like this is, this is a very disruptive thing. It has the potential to be very disruptive um, That's if right. it's a good device. So is it a good device? That's right. So, um, so before, just to go back to the Nexus 10, I finally remember what part number it's BCM 43241 which is their dual, like two by two thing. But anyways, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think you've put the nail on the head that the next, the, the point originally of Nexus was to disrupt the sort of um, the way that phones are sold in the United States, which is of course, you know, you go to the phone store, you buy something, you know, like it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and you sign a two year contract and you pay like one ninety nine or two, you know, or $100 or $50, depending on what tier it is in, you know, the carrier's life lifespan for the device. So the promise always was, oh, well, we're going to change that by selling phones directly and sort of introduce people in the U.S. And and you have to, I know I'm going to get yelled at because 
Um, this is a very American-centric view of things, but at the same time, Google is an American company. So their strategy is fix things here first, even though the rest of the world has this already fixed. That's just the reality of it. I'm not being like, I'm, I'm not being nationalist or something. That's just the context. So that they never truly delivered on that promise with the first Nexus, right? Because it was designed for like three bands, you know, it had like 2100, 1700, um, you know, like I had 2100 AWS and then something else, or maybe it wasn't even three bands. No, either it was way, three band. yeah, either way, it was not, it was not like the standout that it needed to be. And that always struck out at me as being very weird because you have this one, this one on one side, you have the message that, Hey, we want you to buy this phone and, you know, experience a lifestyle that's completely detached of the carrier subsidy outside of their, you know, like their control. But at the same time, really effectively, it only worked on T-Mobile until later on you got the AT&T version with 850 and 1900. And then this carried through the Nexus S too, which was very surprising. And then finally we got a Galaxy Nexus and it's sort of, you know, it's pentaband, but the RF performance of that phone was just always subpar, you know, and I just have a lot of issues that I'll write about with that particular device. And the but SOC now we was have, horribly dated. Yeah, and it was hit. always expensive too. So we now and, and only later on did it finally come down. So now we have now we have the Nexus 4. And like you mentioned, you know, it's it's 299 to begin with, 349 if you go to 16 gigs. And you get DCHSPA plus, so dual carrier, you know, basically able to aggregate two five megahertz WCDMA carriers and you're like there's no caveat so this is the this is finally years later the actual realization of that goal and that goal always was like let's disrupt that space let's deliver a phone that's close to cost as possible let's make people shop for things without the carriers being involved and unfortunately the reality of that does mean that for the moment there's no LTE and the reason is that you know you just can't you can't deliver all these LTE bands and only have it be one SKU. So like those are just two orthogonal things. Like if you look at if you look at all the LTE phones, they deliver you know like band 17 for AT&T, band 4 for AT&T, then band 13 for Verizon. So you know like Nexus Google was never going to engineer like three separate SKUs just to accommodate two different things in the US, you know. And, and LTE. And at the same time, their sort of transparent target for Nexus has always been T-Mobile. And they run dual cell, you know, I mean, or dual carrier. And it's clearly designed for that. And at the same time, we get an, a massive improvement on the RF side. This has the latest, you know, transceiver. This has WTR1605L, um, MDM9215. Yeah, we have full received diversity. Uh, on all bands I mean like this is phenomenal and all for that price so we have the latest and greatest hardware for $299 and if you want more storage for $349 and I feel like a lot of the the blowback from not having LTE is people with AT&T right and the reason that they don't like this is because they can only ever realize HSDPA 14.4 and there are no 21.1 markets. Like, I'm sorry, there just aren't. I've never seen it ever. And I have the equipment to decode what frames are, you know, 16 qualm or 64 qualm. I've never seen it. I'd love to see it. You can send me a screenshot of on your infuse 
uh, showing me 64 qualm, I'll take my words back, but it's never happened to me ever. And I fly around quite a bit and try. So the real, the real, um, instead of being indignant at Google for specking out a device that doesn't have, you know, sort of like basically two relatively obscure LTE bands, you know, 17 and 13, and which can't coexist on the same device, by the way, just because of interference issues, because the way those are laid out, it's not easy to do. Instead of doing that, they, they went with the next best thing, which was, of course, DCHSBA plus on all bands. And the reason that people are pissed off is that you can't realize, you know, 42.2 on AT&T. So the importance here, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the aha moment for you, is that this isn't like an iPhone alternative. This is, this is like the best that you can get um, if you want something that's truly global, you know, like that will truly work on, you know, like internationally DCHSBA plus. DCHSBA plus is deployed almost everywhere in Canada. All the carriers have plans for it in the U S all the carriers, except for AT&T have plans for it. Right. Um, and when I mean all the carriers, I really just mean T-Mobile because <laughs> that's all that there is as far as, you know, like UMTS carriers that are you know, like, Hey, just put a SIM in. Yeah. So that's the context. And you can say that, you can say what you want about, oh, well, I wish I had LTE. Really, instead of being indignant at Google, you should be indignant at AT&T because it's just a matter of flipping flipping the switch, you know, and enabling that category and the, the carriers will aggregate up. And I just don't understand why that's not in the roadmap. Like I do understand to some extent what they want to do there. And it does make sense, you know, to, to make people go to LTE and then they can reform all that stuff. Because now we're talking about reforming on band two and five, so PCS nineteen hundred and eight fifty are going to get reformed for LTE. They might not ever even deploy LTE on band four AWS. We'll see what happens. So there are all these things at play, but really, like Google doesn't care about that. They want they want to deploy the best phone that they can at the best cost, and at, you know, like to their credit, that's what this is. And that's really all I have to say about it. And we'll all enumerate all these points in, in words probably better than I have here. Well, so, just speaking so Brian, out loud. But <laughs> let me ask you this. Tell I, us about the device itself, right? Display quality, you know, is it is it a good phone? Absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, LG makes the dis is one of the display suppliers for Apple. So they know how to, I mean, LG display knows how to make displays. The display is actually really good. On paper, the specs are, you know, actually very good. In our measurements, it's like close to 500 nits. Contrast is above 1300. Um, the colors are could they could be better. This isn't a fault so much of the display as it is. Again, there's nobody at Google whose job is like sit down and calibrate this, you know. Yeah. So that could be way better. Again, that's just like make Francois fix it, you know, or like somebody <laughs> that wants to. Yeah. They could make it way better. Uh, In-hand feel is superb, again, because I feel like this is a real emphasis for somebody there because it has rubber on the outside, and that's primarily what you're gripping. And when you go to a wide, a wider form factor like this, because it's, 10, it's 1280 by 768, not 1280 by 720, so it got wider, um, holding it in your hands does become more difficult, and the mitigation with putting rubber is a great one. Um, and I, you know, I think the glass on the back, you can go both ways. I like the feel of glass, 
you know, it, it feels very slick, but at the same time, I have rubber to grip onto. Um, that's good. On, like, it's phenomenal. Honestly, the Galaxy Nexus for me always felt kind of plasticky. Yeah. You know, and it's specifically like there's a sharp point at the very right and and left where the glass meets the plastic like cage. And that, mm-hmm. that's always been uncomfortable. Um, on this one, they've sort of rounded. They rounded it off. So there's glass and then you meet the chrome, but it's also, it's, you know, like it's not sharp and they got rid of the kind of gimmicky, like concave curve, which I never fully understood, you know, like all that that ever did was just introduce like weird total internal reflections in daylight, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm alone and just like hating that, but I always hated it. (laughs) It never really really bothered me when I had, uh, my nexus but that was there was like 17 other things wrong with that phone uh so that was kind of yeah yeah i mean it was i mean like we got like okay that was last year well okay in the context it was a great device but in the in this context this is like a huge upgrade and also the the rear camera is better you know it's still not perfect again these are you can almost write the review, or at least I could, without using the device. Like, I know Google can't necessarily execute on display perfectly because, again, there's nobody there's nobody who's, at least as far as I know, whose job it is to sit down and, like, hey, let's actually make a lookup table and, you know, like, make these things work. Like, clearly there's somebody at Apple who's 9 to 5 is doing this. And at the same time, the camera, like, it's better, but it's just better in terms of software. The I mean, actually, over Galaxy Nexus, it's very good. Compared to other devices, it's still not perfect. Could be better. 1.1 micron pixels, IMX 111 sensor. Um, I, you know, I again the the I think the context is always really important here. And what Google can execute really well at, they've executed really really well at. Like, um, I'm more excited about the platform improvements, but I'm also really excited because this is a Nexus that is fabulous, and I couldn't care less about LTE not being present. Like, I don't want well, LTE present because I don't want any of the nonsense associated with that, you know, so, here. Like, I, w- what, what, I would love it if it were possible. It's just not possible, you know. And especially, it's especially not possible on Verizon, who does who has a completely different use. They don't use a USIM. They use their own, their own, there's another standard. It starts with an M that I can't remember right now. Um, and they use that for authentication. And hence why you saw all that stuff. So... I'm getting kind of on a tangent here, but yeah, I, I really like the device. I think it's great. At the price point, it's unbeatable. I don't know why anybody would ever buy it for $199 on contract with T-Mobile. Well, yeah, that one never made sense, right? They're selling it for $399 or $299 or $349, and then you can also buy it on a two-year contract with T-Mobile for $199, which... Yeah, why would anybody do that? Right. Like, it's like I understand, okay, that's important. You got to... The store is where people buy, like normal people buy phones. Like people listening to the non-tech podcast aren't normal customers. I think it's fair to say that like this is an elite group. The people that are buying phones, like the volume of phones, go to the store. And because it wasn't ever in the store, they couldn't ever sell anything. So the 199 thing is important. But if you know about the 349 thing online, you're willing to deal with it. Why would you ever buy it in the store? Yeah, well, well because then you can get their... $20 cheaper rates too. Like I'm paying 50 bucks and I'm getting unlimited everything on T-Mobile. Right? Combine it with a with the $300 Nexus 4 and 
you have like a, a top shelf device with DCHSBA plus for, you know, prices that you can't even imagine getting on, on AT&T. Well, hold on. Let's, let's a couple things I want to, I want to clarify here. Um, one as a device, I feel like because of the, the unlocked price point, people look at it and say, Hey, this is a 299 device. You know, it's got to compete with, uh, you know, let's say the HTC one X, the iPhone five, what have you. Um, but the right way to look at that comparison is you're comparing it to $600, $650 devices, right? And as such, the Nexus 4 actually ends up being more of a mid-range device, right? It's not ultra cheap, but it is it is mid-range. So you do give up things like, you, yeah, you don't have a perfectly calibrated display. Um, battery life didn't do all that well, although it's it's fairly close to like the Galaxy S3. Um, yeah, that's but it's okay. It's not in the range of, let's say, the HTC One X or the iPhone 5, right? You, you do take some hits there. Um, Performance is all right. There was throttling, which which I think seems odd. Like that that's not a uh, uh, it's not something I'd be happy about. But again, this is if looked at the context of you were comparing it to six hundred dollar phones, it's a mid range device, and and as a result, you know it's not going to be perfect. Um, but Vivek, what you just touched on fifty bucks a month. What plan is that? Uh, that's their like unlimited everything. I I actually don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, so th- Sorry. that's 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 unlimited data, text, and calling. Yeah, and there's no is that with or without a contract? N- uh, I believe that is with a two year contract, no device subsidy. Okay, so but that's... you can also do like they have something similar on as a prepaid plan as well. They have the thirty dollar one, but, but that's data only, not, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean, who makes calls anymore? <laughs> I do. Well, okay, so if I'm you, just I'm just it's only a hundred um a hundred dollars I mean a hundred minutes of call. Do you get free mobile to mobile with that though? Um that's a good question. I don't know. I didn't really investigate that. Okay. Um because either way, like the fifty bucks a month, that's twelve hundred bucks over the course of two years. What would the equivalent like AT and T be? Uh oh, I don't people, even know. God, you so with the iPhone five, I think I signed up for an $85 plan that had 450 minutes unlimited calling no unlimited text and 3 gigs of data I think it was 85 bucks okay so maybe 90 that works out to be uh just over $2000 right so that's an $800 savings over the course of 2 years yeah right so it's only $700 if you take into account that the device is $100 more expensive that I think is the power of the Nexus Four right there, right? Like it's it's uh, and and I, I'm what irritates me is that that's not what the discussion is about, right? The discussion needs to be about hey, this is a disruptive force in you know driving everyone's pricing down, right? Because like if you look at it this way, the display in there, Brian, is it's not a bad display. Like they didn't pick like a. Oh, cheap, it's a very good display. Yeah. Yeah. And that SOC in there, that's not a cheap SOC either. Everything that's the most in expensive. here is, is highest end possible. Like exactly. ABQ8064, that's going to be the first alongside LG Optimus G. The baseband is the highest possible. The transceiver is the highest possible. Like everything is highest possible. So, I, yeah, I don't get this. So, for this it's thing not that really it's like a mid range device, phone. right? Like, yeah, it's a high end phone. Because the, the display on that, it's, you know, I think. Based on I like I played with a with an Optimus G very briefly and the display was it's you know it's significantly better than what you would find at the mid range I guess right like it's 
well it's we a, don't have any pentile anymore like it's it's very like the dot pitch viewing is is really great um i don't know personally like i really like the display well so I, I guess i guess my point in all of this then is it is physically possible to build and sell a high-end device um or a device with high-end specs at three hundred dollars Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, none of those phones that cost six fifty really cost six fifty. Like, and, and if you and believe I'm, that, you're just insane. You know? Well, I'm assuming that someone is also making margin here, right? Like, LG is making a little bit of margin on this. They're not taking a loss for this. I'm assuming. Probably not. They can't be. Yeah. Um, now, now I think you know Google picked LG because it's you know it, it's able to kind of operate on, on lower margin devices, but um, that's where I want this device to really succeed. Right? I want people to realize that this is a device that if you need a good smartphone and you don't want to pick something that you know has a two-year-old, a two-year-old SLC in it, um, here's a device. You get the best of everything. It's not necessarily the best phone on the market, but it has all of the right things inside of it. And you know, you'll pocket 700 bucks or so over the next couple of years here versus you know, buying something from AT&T. And the more people that kind of realize this and go out and buy and support this phone, the more we actually have, uh, you know, a little bit of power to, to get AT&T and, and other companies to start competing in the same level, right? Like, I think that's the, this thing needs to succeed if we're going to get any sort of competition, um, both on the device side uh, and, and from the carriers in the U.S. Um, I think it will succeed. Uh, like, honestly, the right way to go is around the, the carriers. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like that was the original goal with the Nexus One, and it fizzled out because there's nothing. It wasn't ready yet. Like the reality yeah. of, the reality of the you know, band support and the reality of you know what the state of the market was, and the infrastructure. Like we didn't have the Play Store. You know, yeah. there was no Play Store to sell this thing through. It was just like a page. Yeah. So now people have sort of you know at least become somewhat accustomed to buying. Maybe the Nexus 7 through the Play Store. Maybe the Nexus 10. You know, maybe the Galaxy Nexus as well. So it's not as much of a shock and it's not as much of a this is never going to happen thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think a lot of it too is just that Android is a much more established platform now than it was when they first came with the with the Nexus 1, right? Like that, that was yeah. in the very... Like that was right after the Droid launched, right? So that was... Like the original the droid. The OG so, droid. Yeah, the original droid. So it was like, that was very, very early on in the in the Android game. So you know, now it's now it's actually I think people are going and looking for Android phones, right? Absolutely. No, I'm I'm really excited about this thing. Um can't wait to read your review, Brian. Like I, I think I think this is I, I hope people kind of get this and, and rec start recommending this as a platform to friends, right? You know, I really it, like it. Yeah. I I think I've recommend. I have a friend who's going to buy it immediately. Yep. Yeah. Same. You know, uh, I think I, this is a great platform to recommend. It, both the combination of the platform and T-Mobile. Like I, I think yeah. it's you all know, the guys if that, that I know that are going to buy it are already on T-Mobile. So they're just like, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, one of my friends has an S3, and he's like, dude, I'm scrapping it the day I get my hands on an Nexus Four. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and okay, it has, it has cool stuff like dual band Wi-Fi and wireless charging. Wireless I actually charging. got a wireless charging dock. Oh yeah, it works pretty it? well. It's okay. pretty sweet. It's actually like I was thinking it was going to be terrible, but it's not. It's actually pretty sweet. Like I like putting it down and just walking away, and it charges. You know, and no, um, nice. 
it's kind of nice having the phone in the other room too because I feel less pressured. You know, like more and more, I I do like you know like going and put you know like putting the phone away a little bit. Yeah. And that does sort of like I don't know. It's the second. It's the second hand consequence. But I'd like to talk about Jelly Bean. I think the four point two improvements are really good. They added finally like the drop down settings page. You know. Which is long overdue, but now like a very good implementation. Um, what else? Google Now is obviously spectacular. Google Now, I love. Like ever since I got that on uh, on my Galaxy Nexus, is like it's surprisingly good. Like I said yesterday, I said navigate to Guadalajara Grill, and it got the word Guadalajara, and I was like, "What is this?" Siri Whoa. would just be like, "We're sending you to Mexico. Have fun." <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is too, though, like the the cards thing. It's kind of scary because it it oh, it's know, prescient. It's, yeah, it's it's reading your mail and stuff. But like, I've had people send me uh, like I was supposed to drop a friend at the airport, and you know, she sent me the link to the to the flight confirmation, or she forwarded me her confirmation email, and two hours before I was supposed to go drop her. It actually showed up on my phone, right? The flight, what time it was leaving, yeah, and what time it boarded. And I was like, you know, that's awesome. I didn't tell it anything. It just showed up in my inbox. So And I, and again, the Google execution there is just going to be so much better than Apple's because this is like their core competency. Well, and it's also tied into Chrome. So if you search up like a restaurant on Chrome on your on your desktop, right? Like or laptop or or your browser, it'll show up on your phone if you have Chrome signed in or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I'll have I'll have restaurants that I look up on on Chrome show up on my phone on Google Now, which is that's awesome, right? Like it's it's without there's thinking, a lot of stuff happens. Very well executed things there. Like I'm just always impressed by how well it does with the voice transcription. Like I have a sentence that's kind of off colored that I try with every like voice to speech engine, and I, the Google Now gets it. So we're we've like passed. We've passed my test, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strange sentence, but it, it parses it magically. Um, I can't, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, it's like a, a very, it's not a big update, but it's it's definitely an update that includes a lot of, you know, important improvements like Miracast, even though I, I'm trying to get Miracast working with this Netgear endpoint that Ganesh said would work, but it, it right. hasn't quite worked yet. And um, so I don't know whose fault that is, but I'm still working on it. And then it's got um, the the HDMI and Display Port out via micro USB thing. Yeah, which I don't I don't have a dongle, and there's not one that comes in the box, so I couldn't well, tell I, you how that works. Well, I got an email from, uh, I guess the company that's making some of those adapters, so I could probably set you up with them to get one. That'd be sweet, or just you know see how it goes i'd like to try it i mean i'm sure it works i would love to i wish that it, there was mhl but um because i think mhl was starting to get to like yeah every phone has it okay move along but now i mean i understand why you would have the temptation to display port too i'm trying to think what else i think that's really it you know like chrome is by default on here and it it's it launches and it wants you to use it wants you to use Chrome Sync really, really badly now. Um, like it, it starts up and it just like it prompts you for your password. It doesn't ask you, um, would you like to use Chrome Sync? It's like just give me your password right now so that I can log in. 
I mean, I think that's a key feature, right? Like that that's the the next stage in all of this is really enabling synergy and, and easily moving between your devices. Um, it also doesn't hurt that that's a, that's a low hanging fruit for getting, getting everyone to kind of uh, stick within your one ecosystem. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and Apple the, does it with the, Safari, the camera right? thing is cool. I actually uploaded, do you see the one that I uploaded to Google maps? I've been making a couple and then uploading them to Google maps and they get, they get like sucked into the hive mind. No, I, yeah, it's really cool. So you can make, you can make one of the, like, what's it called? The photo circle thing. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the actual name for it. Okay, did you, did you put the link up on Twitter? Yeah, I did. I, uh, did. I probably and missed it. It's very cool. Um, so what you can do is, uh, it's Photosphere. So what you can do is, like, that's their equivalent of their, you know, that's their software panorama app. And it's not continuously integrating, but it, it has, like, points that it puts, and it, it wants you to move around, and then it'll take pictures at those points, and then it will... You know, stitch them together after the fact, and then you can look at them in a 3D viewer as opposed to just a 2D projection, and and or upload those and then view them sort of like street view style, which is very cool. So that works. I think that's all the major things. I know we have yeah. a lot to talk about. So no, it, it sounded like a good update. I'm I'm actually eager to um, play around with it. Um, okay, well that that shuts the door on all the Google stuff. Uh, new iPads also happened. Um, Vivek, I know you're you're working on the mini. Um, what are your what are your thoughts there so far? So uh, the like I got the iPad mini yesterday. Um, so or two days ago. Um, and you know it's very similar from a stack uh, from a spec standpoint to the iPad two um, with uh, A five R two and um, the 1024 by 768 resolution just in a much kind of smaller and friendlier form factor. Um, it's, you know, in my opinion, kind of the ideal size for, for iOS. Um, like iOS just lends itself, uh, well to the, to the smaller screen size. I feel like I don't feel hurting for, for screen real estate or anything. Um, and it doesn't really limit my use of iOS at all, uh, I guess. It's my, my use case is almost the same as, as it was on my, on my iPad 3. Um, so just having the extra portability is, is really nice. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that was my kind of big takeaway from it as well. Um, I really like the form factor. I think it's an awesome form factor. Um, my major complaints are... I would like a higher res screen and I want an A6 SOC in there. Um, yes, right. I mean, I just the, the thinness and lightness, uh, lightness especially, is is huge. Uh, and for holding it for extended periods of time, it's just, it's awesome. Um, yes. And I, I do really like the design updates. Um, it's same design language as, as you find in the fifth generation iPod Touch. So... That's pretty. That's nice. what I really like. It looks like a huge iPod Touch, which is what it. I always pictured it as, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I thought they did a really good job with the design. Um, I wish there were a high-end internal version of it, right? Like, uh, I get that it serves two purposes: one, to kind of hit a lower price point, and and two, um, you know, to be a smaller device. Uh, but I would I would almost like an iPad Mini S, 
Yeah. Right. Because no, like definitely. for me, I and just one with a retina display, right? Like would just be really nice to have something closer to like sixteen hundred by twelve hundred or or something like that. Just it when you come from the from the iPad Retina, right? Like the twenty twelve iPad, it's kind of a really noticeable difference. Yes. No, I think I think uh, browsing the web on it isn't as good. Um, I mean, it's fine, but but you know you're you're really missing that that extra resolution. Um, but the form but there's, factor. There's so- no way to double and then get like a PPI that isn't stupid high on that size, though. And they're never yeah. going to make a weird resolution. Like that's just not going to happen. I know it's a, it's a tough situation, right? Like because the thing is to if you just double it. Um, you run into the same like memory bandwidth requirements and then you have to put in like an A6S SOC. Like it's, uh, yeah. And, so and there's then no easy way huge... to do it. Well, I wish no, there's they, not. They could have done something like, uh, if they had cut the, the, um, the 9.7 inch, uh, basically such that you had three quarters of that resolution. Right. Um, it would have come out to like something like 7.3 inches and you would have had 1536 by 1152 uh with the same size pixels right so the scaling instead of being um one is to two would have just been one is to 1.5 versus the standard xga that would have been nice yeah but they're never going to do a 0.5 right like that's the wrong way to scale yeah it becomes it's i i understand why they you know they've they've gone for this 2x across the board it's just a really easy way to do it um, the only hope I have in that, you know, they are playing around with some of the kind of, uh, non two X. Like if you look at all of the old retina apps for the, or the old retina games for, you know, the iPad three or whatever, um, those were all effectively just scale and AA. And if you look at on the retina max, um, all the scaled modes are, they're not doubled, right? They're, you know, weird upscale than, than kind of, um, uh, I guess you double them, then then you scale down to a, a non-integer resolution uh, by a non-integer factor. So there is some hope of them playing around with that, but I agree. Like across the board, they've really just liked to do this double, and then that's it for the default, at least. Because yeah. otherwise, you sacrifice the whole argument about like, oh, there are all these apps that are already written and they just work. You know, yeah. then you're back. You're back at the beginning. Yeah, it, and like, it's, look it's at I still have apps on my iPhone five that aren't updated. Right. Like, I think there's there's this discussion that always is going on about like, oh, wow, this is the best ecosystem ever. Like everybody keeps making new stuff. What you don't hear about is how often they abandon things. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that I have that I think is just abandonware, like is never going to get updated. You know, yeah. so if you move to a different form factor, then you risk like, well, all those things that are just like abandonware, the dev moved on. Like the life cycle of an app is like six months, it seems. You know, while yeah. we're actively, you know, like talking about it online slash like it's unless it's something very special. Right. That's just. Yeah. Me. I don't know. No, I, Has, I, I think. I, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just I, I agree. I, I don't see that there's much hope for a, a higher res version anytime soon, um, which is unfortunate. Like, I, I, I think that's the <clears throat> that's in my mind what, what keeps this from being kind of like a you know a perfect device right faster soc higher resolution um but personally i tend to prefer that form factor even to the big one especially because the you know apple seems committed to this uh thicker size heavier weight in, in even the fourth gen ipad um 
Which I, is I, surprising. It is. I, I think what'll be really interesting to see is what happens next generation, right? If uh, if they try and shrink it at all. But you can't get around physics, right? They're still going to be at 28 nanometer. They still are driving a ton of pixels. Um, I mean, 32 I, nanometer. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, 32. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's if that's where the big iPad's going to be, I, I'm going to kind of prefer the mini one, right? Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, I do find myself still double-tapping to zoom in to read full desktop web pages, which I don't have to do as much on the on the you know the bigger version. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I actually earlier today was um, uh, in Kindle, right? Just reading, like I I don't even remember what book it was, but um, and I've like for the first five minutes, I had some real issues uh, with just being able to see pixels right and then once i once i got into the book and i stopped like thinking about the pixels themselves i realized that i i didn't notice it as much anymore so i think it's just an adjustment i guess that i had to make going back from retina to uh i guess being able to see the pixels thankfully it's not uh as bad as going back to like an original ipad display where you know, because the pixel density is still higher. Um, but, yeah, I I really wish that, that they would do a higher res version. See, and that's the thing. I feel like for people, like, you're, we're all spoiled, okay? Like, um, what's the right way of putting it? You know, it's like when you go to first class and then you're like, oh, well, I can't ever go back. Yeah. Or, like, um, you know, it's like one of those things. Like, right. you're spoiled now. For people that are upgrading... Or have never had an iPad. This is like not a oh, concern yeah. at all. Oh yeah, that's that's and not it's even better. Something. It's better than the atrociously awful dot pitch that always was atrociously awful. That was X, XGA at you know ten inches. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other important conversation around the mini is how does it stack up versus like Nexus Seven. Um, I think this is still where you fall into that. How important is iOS to you discussion, right? I, I think. Ultimately, if all you want is something that is a tablet that browses the web, um, you can definitely do that for less money, right? 329 isn't really cheap, especially when you know, hey, there's going to be an A6 version 12 months from now, right? Like it's uh, it's not a small amount of money. If you're you're kind of in the iOS and the Apple ecosystem, um, then then I think it's a great kind of device in in the product portfolio. Um, but if you're looking at the cheapest way of getting into kind of a, a small portable tablet, um, I think the Nexus 7 still has um, room to exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the Nexus 7 is basically the, the best tablet that you can get for 200 bucks, right? No yeah. real question about that. Um, the way I, I, like, I guess I view the iPad mini in a, in a kind of different category because I look at it versus the other iPads yes, and not necessarily as much versus the Nexus seven. I know that Apple made a yeah, big they're deal. They're totally about... different. Well, they're yeah, totally different, which is why one know, is I... an eight inch tablet. One is seven. Like let's just start there. You know, the, 7. Yeah. the aspect is not ratio seven. makes a big difference, right? Um, between seven inch, uh, 60. Yeah. That's what I found versus... really deceptive about. And then they're in their, um, here, look at how much screen real estate we have thing yeah that is yeah the aspect ratio is totally different i was like well okay let's just gloss over that you know it's it's actually it was really weird to me that they made a big deal about comparing the ipad mini to the nexus 7 at the launch event i 
that was something I was kind of like, eh, okay. Um, well, it's a competitive market, right? Like you have to remember. That's what I think. You look at, you know, uh, the only time you mention the competition, because, you know, Apple doesn't really do that on the Mac side, right? Because that's like, that, that market is just theirs. Um, but but here and on the iPhone, like these are markets that aren't very mature, that things dramatically change within the course of one year, or they can. Um, and, and I think they're just defending ground, right? I think that's that's where all of this is coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I it's really obvious. Like, when's the last time they've done something like this? And I think somebody replied back, um, Windows 7? and or some windows so and it was like in the context of os 10 yeah so i think that says everything you need you need to know and also that also their lte skew isn't here and i found it disappointing personally that all of them are the same basically lte slash rf architecture as the iphone 5 like i was hoping maybe one of these would have something really really crazy um but it doesn't appear that way no, because I think it's tough, right? I think both of these are, are among the lowest margin, you know, Apple computing devices out there because uh, they're not subsidized and they all start at relatively low price points given the, the kind of hardware that's in there. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's why I'm kind of still a little bit disinterested in tablets is that you don't always see the, the latest and greatest there, right? Like I don't no, see the always... latest and greatest camera on a tablet ever. Yeah, you know, well, and they also end up... I, the iPad with Retina display, their preview. It, so this is another thing I noticed between the Nexus 10 and the iPad. The iPad camera preview is like almost native. It's very high, but it's not. It's not quite native. But it's like five FPS. Like it is definitely not fluid. Yeah, and the Nexus 10 is nowhere near native, but it's fluid. So it's just interesting to see these trade offs being made in real time. So let's talk a bit about the new iPad then. Um, so iPad 4 uh, retains all of the, the chassis of, of the previous Retina iPad, um, A6X SoC, so two Apple Swift cores running it up to 1.4 gigahertz, um, brand new GPU. So four PowerVR SGX 554 uh, cores versus 543 MP4, which was in the previous design, um, and 543 MP3, which is in the iPhone 5. Um, going to 554 basically gives you one thing. Um, it doubles the number of ALUs per core. Uh, so you, that, that's how Apple's getting its, its double GPU performance. Um, they're, they're also, you know, likely playing around with, uh, clocks a bit as well as, as they move to 32 nanometer here. Um, you don't get any more ROPs, you don't get any more texture units. Um, so they're, they're effectively saying that, Hey, going forward, uh, we're, we're more bound in compute, which makes sense. Um, if, if. Uh, mobile graphics follows what PC graphics has done. Uh, we'll see an increased focus on compute now going forward. Um, but that was kind of an unexpected introduction on the SOC. Um, I wonder if that ends up being a one-off thing and we see Rogue next year, um, the next-gen PowerVR architecture, or what ends up in iPhone 6, right? Does that maybe go to 554 and, and um, we just see Rogue in the tablets, or does everything go to Rogue next year? Um, there's a lot of kind of interesting options at that point. Um, but otherwise, it's the same display, you know, the same basic chassis, stuff like that. Um, battery life, I'm running through tests now. Um, so far, it seems like there's a bit of an improvement. Um, video playback seems much closer to the iPad 2.4 than it did to the uh, 
the third gen iPad. Um, but like I said, still running tests there. Um, before we move off iPads, any last comments on does, Apple's tablets? Does the iPad uh, 4, I guess, or the fourth generation iPad, uh, make any significant usability changes uh, or versus the iPad 3? Um, usability, I mean, it definitely feels faster. Uh, there's, um, like I said, a little bit better battery life. Um, but, but fundamentally the chassis is still the same, right? So, uh, you have all that extra weight. It is, you know, it's a, it's something that you just kind of still have to deal with, um, longer charge times, stuff like that. I mean, it's a very iterative improvement, it seems like, but at the same time, well, why break something that's clearly selling a lot? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I thought, look, it, it, so, so the thing is on the GPU side, you want to talk about, um, you know, improved usability. The GPU is what the original iPad should have shipped, or the original Retina iPad should have shipped with. Um, you mean so this I, whole I overall SOC, like instead of the gigantic forty-five nanometer, like really hot thing. Yes, no, this one, this is what it should have shipped with. Um, GPU performance is uh, significantly better. Um, we're actually going to see games, I believe, uh, on the fourth-gen iPad um, start running at native resolution. Um, versus picking something kind of in between and, and just using AA. Um, I think actually Infinity Blade 2 might have had an update to enable that. I, I need to go play around with it. Um, but that's really exciting to me. Um, that is pretty cool, although I still don't quite understand why they did that. Like, let's run lower and then add AA, because aren't you still drawing the scene at 2x and then scaling down? No, because it's multi-sampling AA, right? Oh, that's okay. super sampling. Um, so with multi-sampling uh, you there, there's you're not doing a two x render. You're you're just uh, uh, what is it? You sample color once, right? Like there there are fewer reads um, back and forth with memory when you do MSAA versus just like you know actually rendering at a higher res and scaling. Hmm. I thought I thought that well, one of the AA methods is literally you just draw the scene like two x and then yeah, scale so down because that what would you're be trying super to do sampling. is avoid aliasing. Hence the yeah. anti-aliasing, no? Yeah, well, so that is super sampling. But when yeah, you see gotcha. MSA, that's the difference. Um, okay. Yeah, it, 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 uh, you don't take as, as big of a hit when you do. It's The quality isn't as good, right? You That's where you effectively get a lot of the blurring because you're not actually getting uh, a 2x increase in detail. Um, but you're you're getting kind of a, an okay in between. Hey, you know, in the dev menu in Android 4.2, there's a checkbox to enable... AA, like force 4x. Oh, weird. Huh. Like I showed you the settings. There's new settings to like, hey, let's see overdraw. And you can see why the Play Store like app performance sucks. And a couple other apps that I've always been like, this just really sucks. And you can see that they're just overdrawing way too much. Like they have yeah. a couple, they have like green, blue, yellow, red. And I think red is like, um, I would just say like four or five X or something. I don't know. There's no like official documentation that I've gotten yet, but I'm going to find out. And yeah, you can check that box, even though there's no developer option under settings anymore, you can still get to it. And that's a new feature. That's awesome. Um, okay. Any final words on iPads? Uh, is there any reason if you have an iPad three, you would switch to an iPad four? Uh, that's that's a tough upgrade. It's 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 kind of like saying, hey, if you have uh, Sandy Bridge, would you upgrade to Ivy Bridge? Um, yeah, it's going to be better, but 
you know 12 months later there's going to be something even better. Um, and, and that's probably the one that I would want to upgrade to. Um, okay. So, I, yeah, that, that's, right. that's what I'd say. That makes sense. Um, okay, so real quick, I want to move on to uh, the last Apple announcement, which is the 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. Um, playing with it now, we'll, we'll hopefully have the, um, uh, the review out here shortly. Uh, those of you wondering if there's still the low UI frame rate issues, those are still there. Um, I'm working to kind of track them down a bit better. Um, so far, it looks like we're running into single-thread performance bottlenecks, which is kind of interesting. So this is actually uh, doesn't seem to be um, necessarily GPU-related. So I, I, I don't know if, if Haswell will necessarily fix this. Um, but then again, I also don't know what the what the exact code or the nature of the code is that's that's causing these issues. But I, I do see a, a strong correlation um, with single-threaded performance. Um, but the device as a whole, like the 13-inch form factor is awesome. Um, I don't really view it as a alternative to the 15-inch Retina MacBook because um, you do go down to two cores, you lose a discrete GPU. Um, I bet with Haswell, that's going to start getting a lot blurrier. Um, one, because you might be able to fit four cores in here anyways. Um, and two, if, if they go with GT3e, you're going to have uh, close to discrete GPU class performance anyway. So, so that's a different discussion to have. Um, but it's a great, in terms of portability, very, very good form factor. Uh, the display looks really good. Um, I was more impressed by the 15 inches display. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know, Brian, like you're saying, hey, now I'm spoiled and, and this is just now expected. Um, but overall, the, the display still looks, looks really good. Um, the machine is very well executed. Uh, you just have to deal with the fact that, you know, UI performance is not, you know, it, it'll drop well below 30 frames per second um, in just doing things like scrolling around Safari. Um, one thing I, I'm going to try and do is kind of build a test case. Uh, so we'll have like a repeatable metric that we can use across all of the Macs that we look at um, to kind of measure UI frame rate performance as it improves. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was using someone's Sandy Bridge uh, MacBook Pro on this, this past trip I was on and the UI felt so smooth and I was like, what is going on here? And then oh, I remembered man, that. That's so bad. <laughs> it's... I mean, it's it's just an issue. I, I don't know. Um, it's clearly something that Apple is doing within OS X to make OS X look like OS X, right? It's it's uh, some, I don't know if it's anti-aliasing, I don't know if it's scaling, I don't know if it's a combination of everything. Um, it's clearly related to pixel density or, or to, to total number of pixels. And uh, it, it just wreaks havoc on a, on a single core. Um, so as future architectures improve single-threaded performance, you will see those frame rates go up. Um, and as Apple does more on the software side uh, to maybe shift some of those workloads onto the GPU like it did with the Mountain Lion upgrade, uh, you'll also see those frame rates go up. But it's it's just a fact of life at this point, unfortunately. Um, that needs so, to get better. Like, I don't understand why... You know, even the Retina iPad, when I scrolled that in the store, it was clearly not as fast as the iPad Mini. Yeah, that's um, I, it's it's just a ton of pixels, tons of memory bandwidth, um, and and that's actually really complex on the mobile SoC, right? Because you have uh, a finite amount of memory bandwidth that's actually all not all that great um, in terms of usable memory bandwidth, um, 
and you have to share that between the CPU and the GPU, which both have to do, like when you're scrolling, right, the, the CPU has to do a lot of work, the GPU has to do a lot of work, and, and they have to kind of load balance that, that uh, memory bandwidth. Um, and, and my belief, I haven't tested this yet, but I bet the X version of Apple's SOCs actually cap um, maximum CPU bandwidth, memory bandwidth to the CPUs um, in, in hopes of kind of maintaining smooth UI performance. Uh, and giving the GPUs what they need, I, I'm betting that's the uh, uh, that's the extension of why we see the memory interfaces like butt up against yeah, the GPUs laid thing. out that way. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's you know we're we're we went from basically just pushing or driving 10 by 7 and 13 by 7 screens for so long, and now we're just saying okay, we're just going to do 2x that at least across the board. Get with it, and. You know, I don't think anyone's roadmaps were aligned with that transition, right? Like even <laughs> even Intel's roadmaps, I think Apple pushed them to be as aggressive as they are today, and and they're still a little bit behind the curve right now. Um, and so I think that's a. And even if you look at all the other mobile SoC providers, you know, no one's even pushing. I mean, Nvidia's still on a single channel LPDDR2 interface, right? Like there's, I I think this caught everyone by by surprise. Um, well, 5250 is able to do it decently. Yeah, I think that's Samsung learning very, very quickly from Apple. Um, I, I think they, they've they been studying what's been going on. I mean, they've been making the chips, right? And I, I think they clearly see that, hey, look, this needs to change right away. Um, and then they also have like a completely different cost structure, right? Samsung is very, very okay with operating on low margins. You know, they don't really ship chips to a whole lot of non-Samsung vendors, um, yeah. they, they have kind of this motivation to build a bigger device. Um, and they definitely have the profits to kind of back it up. Uh, whereas you look at a lot of the other SOC vendors, um, they're not making a lot of money from the space yet still. Um, so it's, it's a little different there. Um, so closing up on all the Apple stuff, Brian, you got a insanely awesome piece of hardware now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, so, you I mean, haven't... well, part of that in the iPhone review, um, I was going to have a section on cases, you know, and because I had tried a bunch of cases and I'm the only one that likes cases, apparently, like you guys <laughs> both run your devices naked. Well, I got a case for my five. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, but traditionally you guys have always been like, oh, don't do a case. That's awful. Yes. <laughs> like you live that daringly. Is... I don't, yes. I'm not that, I'm not as daring. Plus I'm OCD about little scratches. So I, I I tried all the cases, and when when the when that device launched, there were very few. In fact, there were none in the Apple Store. The only people with cases were the carrier stores and online. Best Buy. So, yeah, well, yeah, but I don't like going there. So <laughs> I do my best because they outgas in the store and it smells bad. But so, anyways, I tried all the. Uh, no, I'm serious. They of outgas all in the store. To not like Best Buy, really. Well, Wait, I mean, I that's one of the reasons is that it smells terrible. And you're like, well, do they shampoo their carpets? Like, this is a store. Come on, guys. But no, that's <laughs> not the reason. Uh, the reason is outgassing and all this electronics. Do you know, like, Target outgasses in a warehouse? This Wait, is like an important I'm, supply chain thing, right? And I'm, not, I'm not familiar with this term. Step into your store. <laughs> what What is outgassing? I've never heard this term Neither before. Oh, I. really? Are you yeah. serious? Okay. So, yeah. like, plot, you know, like electronics, like, we have outgas. Like, there are volatiles that are, you know, just like become vapor and like rise off. So 
Um, specifically with plastics, you know, like a new car smell, that's outgassing. Or like when you open up a box with your fancy new like motherboard and it smells weird, that's yeah. outgassing. Or like TVs, they all outgas. The only reason okay. I have experience with outgassing is because when we were working on, S- on CCDs and we would pull vacuum on them, you know, like, because literally you'd get them down to cryo temperatures and then pull vacuum. Um, they would outgas even more in a vacuum and then deposit like yuck all over the place, like all these volatiles, <laughs> oils, you name it. So when you're running a store um, and you're taking inventory out of boxes and like shipping things, you need to, this is an important thing to worry about. And um, different stores have different ways of handling it. So to keep costs low, you know, obviously you, you don't want to have a warehouse where you just put things for a couple of days so that they don't smell too bad. You know, you just put them right on the shelf. But as a result, Best Buy smells terrible. And now that I, 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 I challenge all of you to like pay attention to this, and you'll notice a difference. Like going to Target, it doesn't smell awful. Going to Wal, going to Walmart, it's it'll smell one way. Going to Best Buy, it'll smell a different way, and it's it's outgassing. Interesting. Yep. I've never actually noticed that. Now the WalMarts near me smell really bad. Um, but so I I think that might be an unrelated issue. But um. <laughs> I, I have not noticed a, a particular Best Buy smell, so now I have to like go and sniff all the Best Buys. Um, That's the reason, and it like you know like on its own, it's like new electronics smell good, but obviously when you mix them all together, it's like colors and it it's like brown equivalent smell. <laughs> so um, I'll leave you with that imagery. <laughs> okay, you make so me glad that gotta, I do all my shopping online. Yeah. Okay, so you got to You got You were frustrated with case availability, but you you got something cool. Yeah, sir. I tried all the cases, and I'm still gonna do like a roundup. But I got one of the one of the cases that was sort of like pitched to me later um, via email was the Element case. You know, like they they made like the Element vapor case for the iPhone four and four S, and um, they made one for the five, which is called the Sector five, and it's like aluminum. You know, it's like sixty sixty one aluminum. It's got like this ultra. It's got this like suede back thing. Um, and it's, it's metal, like it wraps around, you have to like screw it in and it is industrial and it feels just phenomenal. Like the, it's metal. And I think the real reason that I was sort of like pitched this is because of the whole iPhone four, you know, four S attenuation thing. And apparently this used to be a problem and, uh, they've put, they've put some insulating straps in between, you know, like the bands and the metal contacts everywhere. Um, so I mean, and, and that does something, obviously you can still detune the thing just by like what metal is around it. So it's, it's not just like a straight, it's not a problem of like you're making galvanic contact or like electrical contact. It's, it's more like, like what is your antenna tuning doing? But the iPhone five has like all sorts of antenna tuning. Like they have a dedicated RFMD antenna tuner block. So they make sure they have a good standing wave ratio. And in addition with these other improvements, it seems to be really good. Like I've been using it and I'm super anal about my signal strength and it's, it's not a problem. And at the same time, it feels ridiculous, but the downside is that it costs $150, like $140, $145. So it is definitely like not a normal case. Um, but it looks so cool. So I, just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I was so pissed when I had to pay 30 bucks for a case. Like I, $150 for a case is just, it's, 
on a different planet. <laughs> it's obviously a status symbol. Like, this is obviously not... Like, I don't know how much protection it affords, you know, to the, to the front or the back. The back, the suede is cool. The front, you still are, like, you need a screen protector. Um, I don't know. And around the edges, it's metal, so that's good. But it's not going to necessarily absorb an impact like rubber. So, but it, it's definitely like a status thing. Like it looks so weird. Oh yeah, I can I can imagine. It looks so cool. I it it looks really radical. But I was more interested, yeah, in the like the antenna tuning performance stuff. So I haven't like sat down and actually measured it, but subjectively it seems okay. Well, that's good. Um so that actually wasn't the ultra cool thing that I heard you got. Um, oh, what's the, yes. What's the, the other, other cool ultra thing? cool thing. Yeah. Um, the other ultra cool thing is that um, I got, and well, and Ritsu has loaned us a MD8475A signaling tester, which is a base station emulator. Um, so we can emulate basically every air interface ever and do and test performance characteristics of every phone. Um, either in a screen box or with like antenna leads and test, you know, like how it performs in different fading scenarios, um, test maximum performance on LTE. Uh, so like we can do two by two at, you know, f at 20 megahertz and attach devices to it. So, and as well as test, um, DCHSPA plus, you know, single carrier, we can test, um, 1x evdo all this stuff voice sms like this is a real industrial test equipment like it is a huge box <laughs> how big is the box i'm sorry how, how big is it how big is it um really you need a picture to like understand the size but it has a computer inside <laughs> okay all right so it's it's like it runs windows a, 7 it's bigger than a desktop yeah, it's bigger than a desktop, and it's got like it's got end connectors on the front, and I have I have various connectors, and um, I've been playing around with it, and it's crazy. Like literally, you can just simulate whatever you want. Like just name a band, plug it in, you're good to go. You know, and or put it your phone in the screen box, and there's a test sim, and so this is gonna enable us to do all sorts of crazy things. Like we can we can run battery life tests and control the uplink power like we have the full power now to control what what's the tx power from the handset because that gets set actually at the network level like um the phone doesn't necessarily decide what transmit power um the the network tells it what transmit power so we can do all sorts of things like control that control what the field is you know control our drx cycles I mean, we can we can get very low level here, debug, you know, like biggest thing for me actually is actually being able to see what what the UE or the user equipment um, capabilities are signaled as. So like when the device attaches to the network, what the capabilities are in terms of both, you know, like categories, um, what what all it says it supports uh, in terms of features. Stuff like that is impossible to get. And just looking at what baseband is inside doesn't tell you because, you know, it depends on what software and the filters and the power amplifiers and all these other things. What is the end result of what what the the handset or the UE is capable of? And now we can finally see that information. So it's, it's like simultaneously it's awesome that we have it. It's terrible that you need to go and buy a, 
or you know, like find a base station emulator to like ultimately know what is supported you know like this is yeah. obviously all obfuscated like nobody knows except for the carriers for some things but now we can know too so this so, is awesome like this is what i've it's been like two years in the making trying to get one of these that's and <laughs> yeah how how is this not like a huge source of interference though to you know just folks using normal like if you're if you're generating you know let's say you're emulating like a an lte signal how does that not interfere with whatever band and and uh type of lte that you're you're trying to emulate so there can be interference issues but i i've only operated it cabled up and um we need to get a screen box which is basically like a faraday cage okay um so all the signal is contained within the box gotcha um and the other the other thing is that devices just can't attach to it like you need to test sim you have a specific mobile country code, code, mobile network code that are both like assigned for testing. So it's not like random devices are going to get attached to it. Okay. Uh, it's actually kind of difficult to get devices that are, you know, like carrier locked to attach, I've discovered, but it's not impossible. Um, so yeah, that's not a big concern. But if, you know, if you're trying to operate and you, you don't have a screen box, which is not, not a good idea, it's, not a good idea but the power that we're operating at is so low that it really doesn't extend outside the room okay so so what is the uh, what's the first thing readers can expect you to like what's the first thing they'll see as a result of this you know actually i'm going to show results showing the 64 qualm um, single carrier performance of the galaxy nexus cabled up which is um of course in theory capable of 21.1 in reality, it's around like 18, I think. So we'll show okay. that. And then we'll show the performance of the um, Nexus 4, also cabled up. Um, now, when you say cabled up, you're talking about physically attaching the antenna leads directly to the device? Yes, because I don't okay. have a screen box. Gotcha. But um, yes, this will be the maximum like performance possible. So we can finally isolate out, and, like, here are the carriers. You know, here's the... Especially on LTE... On LTE, the carrier, the software and that is running on the base station doesn't necessarily have to do a full assignment. So they don't like in theory, you could have you could be the only user on the sector, um, and the only user on the channel. But if the if if they haven't elected to do a full assignment, you know, like best effort delivery, you can't you could conceivably not get every resource block. So that's why I suspect on AT and T we haven't ever seen anybody run like close to the 70 megabits is that they just don't have full assignment enabled. Whereas on Verizon, you know, like I have a guy in New York city who sends me stuff all the time. Um, Milan on Twitter, uh, like 70 megabits, right? So they're clearly doing full assignment, but I mean, either way we can still do things like fading. Um, interference is a little bit more difficult. Adding geometry is a little bit more difficult. But again, I'm stoked just because I want to see like what's the maximum performance, what is the performance under different fading. Um, we can run our battery life tests to completely controlled. Like you can go on the internet. Um, and actually, for LTE, you need to be cabled up because uh, otherwise, there's no way to guarantee good orthogonality across both antennas. You know, so like oh, interesting. Uh, and in a box, there's no the multipath is like it's a box, so you're not going to get the full the full bandwidth, but I've seen, I, I fired up galaxy S three and cabled up and got 
you know, like the 20 megahertz category three performance, almost a hundred megabits. Really? So, I mean, it's really powerful. It's awesome. Just seeing those numbers. That's but, awesome. Well, that's a cool thing to, um, uh, I don't know. I am, I'm curious to see, uh, just what the results look like as you get more devices in there. Um, we have now well past the two hour mark. Um, so I want to apologize again for not being around for the past couple of weeks. We've all been traveling and trying to cover all the stuff and, and more that we talked about today. Um, going forward, at least for the next, I'd say, month, month and a half until CES, uh, things will hopefully be a bit slower. Um, so we'll be able to catch up uh, on a bunch of stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, we still haven't gotten Brian's take on the Nest thermostat, for example. Um, oh, my gosh. And- yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, that's that's still there, but but hopefully over the coming weeks we'll we'll have time to, to catch up on all that. Um, there's still a whole bunch of new releases coming out. Um, some really really exciting stuff happening in the SSD space um, this week. So uh, there, there'll be definitely more to talk about in the coming weeks here. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening, and uh, as always, you can check out all the reviews, all the stuff that we talked about here. Um, if it hasn't published already, you'll you'll likely see it in the next uh, week to two uh, two weeks from now uh, on the site. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we will be back again soon.